Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Video Store Nightmares, the podcast where we discuss the strange, the bizarre, and the Christmas films of the VHS era. Tonight, we are talking about uh, on the recommendation of John Waters, right? This is his favorite Christmas movie. We're watching the wonderful Christmas evil. My name is Luke, and I'm joined by Leland. Listeners, you can find 1980s Christmas Evil on Tubi and YouTube for free. So this was the first time watch for you? Yes. Immediate reaction. It doesn't dethrone my favorite Christmas horror movie of the original Black Christmas, but it's up there. Is it what you expected from a movie called Christmas Evil? No, not at all. Yeah, that's how I feel. I This movie gets, like, it was controversial when it came out, right? Just like the other killer Santa Claus movies, like Silent Night, Deadly Night, and Silent Night, Bloody Night, and uh, all, the, all of the other ones out there. But it's not really that. It's a different kind of movie. And so it's just a very odd preconception i think a lot of people have before they watch it i expected this film to be about a more malevolently evil version of claus who would be actively pursuing kids on his naughty list to ensure that they were going to have a shitty holiday and to a degree that's in the film but this is a completely different beast altogether all right so let me let me tell you about the VHS release because this only helps to fuel that perception that this is a a really sleazy, violent exploitation movie, right? I've had a couple different releases of this movie. Uh, I've had the one on Night Flight video, but there's one on uh, Academy called Terror in Toyland. And there's one on Genesis called Christmas Evil. But the one I have is on Saturn. And I think this is, of all the video releases, this is the one that looks the sleaziest. On the front, it has a picture of our main character holding a knife from, like, down below. As if, like, as if we were going to give him a blowjob. That's what this picture makes me think. And it says, better watch out. Better not cry, or you may die. <laughs> oh, that that falls a little flat. That doesn't work at all. And then on the back, it says this, and you tell me whether you think this accurately describes the movie. As a boy, he saw mommy making love to Santa Claus. As an adult, he is a crazed killer who has kept a list of all the girls who have been good and all the girls who have been bad. It's Christmas time, and all the bad girls are in trouble. I'm laughing because this is just so alien to the movie. A man dressed as Santa Claus is stalking the streets, brutally murdering innocent girls. Who's to say if the kindly old gent whose knee your daughter sits upon is a maniacal murderer? What is with this casual misogyny? What do you think of this description? The first five words happen in the film and everything else is 
total bullshit. <laughs> yeah. So why do you think they chose to like, why is it more marketable to describe this as a killer who's hunting naughty girls than I don't know, uh factory worker goes berserk. Like, all right. So let, let's just, let's just get this out of the way. Now, if you are listening to this and you haven't seen this film, it's worth your time. It's only an hour and a half. Go watch it. It's whatever you think it's going to be. It's not. It's definitely one of our, uh, what, what have we been calling them? Like psychopath of the week episodes where it, you, it's it basically actually, a character exhibition of a psychopath, <laughs> except it's Christmas. It's, it's on theme for this month. This movie actually reminds me a lot of the witch that came from the sea. Not it's not as dark and upsetting as that film, but it's kind of a similar plot structure and it's and uh it's kind of similar tonally. Yeah. At least the music is better <laughs> than which of the came from the sea. I think on on every other front, um which probably does it better. But going back to this film, I'd imagine if this film was as controversial as you said it was uh, when it came out, they probably had to change the marketing a little bit and or they felt like they had to change the marketing a little bit in order to push out copies. So they just tried to be as schlocky and degenerate as possible to, to sell copies on shock value. Like what else are they going to do? Yeah. Uh, so originally this, this movie was written far before Halloween apparently, but they didn't actually get funding to make it until Halloween. And so I imagine that meant their funding was tied up with the perception that it was a slasher movie. It was also originally called you better watch out, which was changed to Christmas evil, which was changed to terror in Toyland. So it they kept trying out new names because the previous one hadn't worked. I'm sorry. Did you say Terror in Toyland? Yeah, Terror in Toyland is the one that the title that came out on Academy. Somehow Christmas Evil is better than all of those. And I don't even think that title really encapsulates what this film is about. Um, but I suppose you can't really call it like Christmas mental dysfunction. I like the title Christmas Evil, even though I don't really think it describes the movie. I still like it. And I will say, even though this movie is not the sort of exploitive trash, or at least I don't think it is, that it's sold as, it does feel sleazy when you're watching it. Or at least it does to me. Like, it feels dirty. And uh, the only films I can think of to compare it to in that regard are maybe like Driller Killer uh, or Maniac feels like that. I think um, Silent Night, Deadly Night to some degree feels like that. It just, I don't know. Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you feel this? Yeah, it has like headless eyes vibes. Sure. Yeah, it's like a grungy urban environment with a person who needs desperate medical care, desperate mental health care. But I think the difference between those films and this one is in this one, the movie at least wants us to find the protagonist likable. Did you find him likable? Uh, no. (laughs) 
<laughs> but I suppose he's more relatable in that he at least feels like he's doing something right just to preserve like the Christmas spirit, right? You know, he's fighting against all of those poor saps who say happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas. <laughs> This is this is a man who's built his entire life around Christmas. But let's let's save that until after the trailer. I will briefly mention that the main character Harry is played by an actor named Brandon Maggart. His performance is really the selling point of this film because we get to witness his um, not really his slow decline into madness because he's kind of already there by the start of the film, but we do see a steady decline from his already precarious situation um, into something that's uh, really, really uncomfortable to watch at times. Yeah, so this movie, I think, was pretty obscure for a really long time. Like when people talked about the Christmas slasher, they talked about Silent Night, Deadly Night, and or or Black Christmas. And once in a while, someone like John Waters was pushing this movie. But now, recently, it's had somewhat of a resurgence. Like Synapse put it out, and it's developed truly a cult life now that I don't think it had before. And it kind of surprises me because I think the success of this movie relies on us liking Harry. And... I think that Brandon Maggart's performance is really good. Like, I think the character is very believable and effective, but I don't like him. So the movie doesn't quite work for me. Do you experience that? Or do you even need to like a protagonist? Well, especially with our track record, our viewing history, no, we don't have to like the protagonist. If you want to call him the protagonist, <laughs> who would you call the protagonist? God, does there have to be any antagonists? Everyone sucks in this film for the most part. Uh, true. Yeah. Uh, but I would say the, the thing that Santa has going for him in this movie is that he's at least targeting victims that, that we can sympathize have wronged him in some like universal way, right? Like people have lied to him. People have swindled him. He is watching people. He's watching like his coworkers scam charities. These are people that we can sympathize with how he feels towards them, but it's really his like Christmas zealotry that really prevents any of the audience from really identifying or, or, being on his side through his uh, his fucking crusade against the oh, what, what do you want to call this the the, the like corporatization the, of Christmas yeah the abandonment and defacing of the Christmas spirit he the, there's no way to identify with him because he's so far outside the norm of a normal person anyway that it, it's it's difficult like we're getting into review territory already but it, it's difficult to talk about this movie without talking about i think this guy's performance the movie was written and directed by a guy who really didn't do anything else named lewis jackson he has a few credits on imdb but i couldn't find out any information about those movies so i assume they were like student films or something but really oddly, he has an, an associate producer credit on 
1974 black exploitation semi porn film Lila, which is most famous for its theme song. writing aside the song's pretty lit oh it's been it, like no one knows where it comes from but it's been sampled to death you've probably heard samples of it and stuff and the record is i think it's finally been reissued but it used to really really be in demand like to give you an idea i used to own a copy i paid 500 dollars for it and <laughs> six months later i sold it for 1200 dollars <laughs> Oh, shit. So, like, that's the way the record market goes. But with 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 soundtracks like that, like, first of all, it's a Bernard Purdy soundtrack. And so he's he's really well known and sought after um, for people who like sampled music or like, you know, those genres of music. But also how many like porn films get their soundtrack pressed? Like, it's not very many, right? So it's really interesting that it got a pressing at all, and I'm sure it didn't get very many copies made. But anyhow, so weird connection. Um, you want to go ahead and play the trailer, and then we'll get into this thing? I told you he'd be happy that we remembered him. This Christmas, Santa's <laughs> going to make everyone happy. <laughs> the grown-ups. And the kids. Christmas evil. The non-believers. <laughs> And the screamers. <laughs> and this Christmas, you better believe in Santa, or he'll slay you. Merry Christmas, Frank. Christmas Evil, the night he dropped in. So we have to talk about the whole opening vignette where there are two kids with their mother who are on the stairs and they're watching as a very convincing, I think, Santa comes down the chimney and puts out the presents. And it's clearly their dad, but it's very convincing. And uh, and then he goes back up the chimney and 
so the the little boys run upstairs and they get in bed and they kind of debate whether it was really Santa or whether it was their dad. All of this seemed really real to me. Like this is exactly how my brother and I grew up. Did it feel that way to you? As an only child, I can't relate to a lot of the brotherly connections in this film. Um, I will say that there is a very unnatural feel to how the mom and the two children are looking into the living room waiting for Santa. It is very strange. It There is a there is a strangeness to it, but I don't think the scenario is that weird. Like, no, the, the situation itself is normal, but the way they are presented sitting, you know, sideways on the staircase, looking out into what you would assume is the living room. Uh, it, the way it's backlit is odd. It doesn't look quite look like it's illuminated by Christmas lights. And mom looks like a high out of her mind. <laughs> I, I, there, do you think it's something about these rooms like wood paneled rooms from the 70s that just feels sleazy to no. us now <laughs> no I, I, don't, I don't associate wood paneling with sleaziness <laughs> i don't know for some reason when i think about like the low the really low budget horror movies that feel the sleaziest they are they often take place in like dimly lit smoky wood paneled rooms and maybe that's just because at that point those kinds of de- that kind of decor was out of fashion and so only the low budget movies were shot in rooms like that but there's something about these kinds of rooms that feels both really at home like comforting like nostalgic for me but also kind of off kilter and sleazy. When I think sleazy, I I think about like a cockroach infested motel room, like a drive by piece of shit place uh, that that only criminals and prostitutes mostly stay at. Uh, Maybe there's a blood soaked mattress. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think wood, wood paneling is like warm quality you know construction artisan artisanship went into that oh i i love wood paneling you don't have to sell me on it but uh (laughs) we've gotten way off track i'm not even sure if that room had wood paneling (laughs) come to think of it but so what happens next is that the boy who really believed that this was santa sneaks downstairs again because he heard something and he sees his mom and Santa in a sexual situation and is clearly very traumatized by this. It's important to note that our main character is the older brother of the two. Normally in stories, and maybe perhaps in real life too, um, the older brother has the responsibility, the burden of being the more mature of the two, the one who's supposed to be like the guiding light in a lot of difficult situations. And and here, it ends up being the exact opposite. He's the damaged one. He's the one who gets lost, obsessed with this weird idea of what Christmas should be. It's this like pure holiday of the human spirit. And then here he is on the stairs watching uh, 
Santa shove his nose into, you know, his his mom's puss puss. Like that's that is basically what triggers this man's or eventual man's like descent into madness. Well, I think the psychology of this nonsense, right? Oh, and absolutely. I, and and what's weird is that usually in these kinds of movies from this time period, and this is this is 1980, but it still feels like a 70s movie there was always some psychological explanation, right? Even in a ridiculous movie like Pieces, you know, at the beginning, we see the little boy putting together the puzzle of the naked woman and the mother gets mad and it's this traumatizing event. We know why he goes on to be a killer. And I think that's something that came down from Psycho, right? After Psycho, everyone had to have a psychological motivation behind their killer. And usually it's just really trite and cliche. This movie, I think, does a lot more with it, but it's still a cliche. Like, okay, it's a unique reason to go insane for a film, but it doesn't make it any more believable. (laughs) No. (laughs) Not at all. No, and and what's different about this one too, and I don't know if this is a a benefit or not. It, I think they suggest that Harry had some neurodivergence or mental illness, like even before the Santa incident. Was that the impression you got? Mm, maybe not, but perhaps I didn't put enough attention into it. Uh... I definitely thought it was kind of odd because we at this point, we don't know which one's the older and younger brother. We find out like a little bit later in the film once they're grown up. Um, but it, when that fact is revealed, it does set off some red flags because he's is older, but he's absolutely adamant that this is Santa Claus and Christmas is real and he's bringing presents. But they have like, what, two, three years age gap. I don't know if it's that much, maybe two but he which doesn't sound like much right but in the like framework of when a child should feasibly believe in like a santa like entity that that's not a very long window of time compared to the rest of a child's life yeah i mean this was the age difference between my brother and i and i would believe i was the older and i would believe me pawning off something like that on my brother but not the opposite but i think this my oh, i hate saying shit like this because i'm not a doctor and i can't diagnose anything but he seems autistic to me as just two white guys talking shit on the internet i feel like we're not qualified to say anything that we record so don't let that stop you I mean, the fact that anybody even listens is like, oh, it, that's an, like we we love the fact that people listen. Like, please continue to listen, rate us, follow us. Like, we love that you engage with the podcast, but um, it's not really why we do it. We just do it because there's an excuse. There's like a reason that we have to get together every week and talk and shoot the shit about movies, and that's something that we love to do. And so, um. That's the only reason why we're on here saying shit at all. I kind of feel like this is also sort of like a public service because we can kind of guide people to and away from certain films. Like sometimes it's a warning message. 
like don't watch frozen scream don't do it it's not worth it do anything else with your time and then sometimes you have these films with crazy backstories or crazy like reputations behind them and then we watch them and maybe it's warranted maybe it's a bunch of hot air and we can tell people that hopefully we get that impression before they watch an hour or listen to an hour of, of us fucking talking but you know i mean i look i loved listening to the other podcasts in the community that i get to listen to for free right go listen to bad taste video and um laser graves and uh shit there's so many other ones go listen to all of those guys and so i guess this is also my way of giving back where i like to listen to this stuff and i assume other people like to listen to our conversation so as uh pretentious as that seems anyway let's get back to christmas evil so um, we are we are slapped with a time jump yep adulthood for harry and it's immediately clear that he never left christmas behind god he wakes up with the fucking santa get up right santa pajamas on at least it's near christmas like at least I, this isn't july okay first time i've seen this i thought he was gonna like mosey on out into the living room and there was gonna be a calendar that said like fucking july like i <laughs> thought that was gonna happen <laughs> but when he does come out it does say what f uh, 40 days to christmas so he is jumping the gun but it ain't as bad as all that yeah you know how, like you have those serial killer movies where some guy will do his fucking deranged arts and crafts project by cutting out like a bunch of nude women from like magazines and then they like put them all up in a a collage of depravity it's like that except just santa claus from like marketing catalogs <laughs> yeah no it is that's he's clearly mentally ill and he even has a whole routine where he like hops out of bed in his uh, santa pajamas and does like a little penguin dance routine while he plays christmas music he he uses shaving cream to fantasize that he has a big white beard it's really <laughs> it's really weird do you, but but when it gets really strange though like up until now it's just like eccentric and silly but when it gets uncomfortable for me is when we see him spying on the neighborhood children and taking notes uh well first off this apartment was unsettling enough for me but <laughs> then that does take it to the next level that is what I was expecting more from this film, like him stalking children who don't know any better. I will mention the the score here because I think it's really effective. It's like screeching violin, sort of. It's it's kind of reminiscent of Psycho's score, I think, but it's eerily effective, like very foreboding. And it if we didn't already feel like the scene was disturbing, it's like hammering into us. This is disturbing. And um, yeah, he takes notes uh, and says things like good boy or sweet baby. It's I can't even say them because it just sounds strange. <laughs> like it makes me uncomfortable to say. I'm trying to think of what he says about this little girl. Uh, he, so he has like a routine. He actually observes these children in his apartment uh, from the top of his apartment building. He looks, I'm assuming, into an adjacent building 
through the windows and he has a routine on which children he checks on and conveniently all of them just don't know how to close their blinds and then he takes this information goes back to his apartment and pulls out a naughty book and a nice book and jots down his notes we have to talk specifically about this scene because he's he's watching this little boy cut out pictures of naked women and as soon as he sees it he it's like he realizes he doesn't have the naughty book on him so he has to rush home to get it <laughs> so we see him like running up flights of stairs to get home well running down flights of stairs but yeah <laughs> and finally he bursts in and the first thing he goes for is the naughty book and what does he write down about this kid do you remember so he writes down impure thoughts and then something about bad hygiene <laughs> or uh, no negative uh, negative body hygiene is is the exact wording. <laughs> so this is wild to me, like this whole sequence These is books are so fancy, man. It, they're they're bound. They're oh, embroidered. Yeah. They They're say very like ornate. good boys and girls, bad boys and girls. You'd think the bad boys and girls book would look more like the Necronomicon or something, but they're 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 both they're both Christmas themed. One is like I think one is red and one is green, right? Yeah, I guess. And then little Susie Lovett is the little girl that he just absolutely adores. Um, it's it, it is creepy. But it never gives off the pedo vibes that we are normally accustomed to here at Video Store Nightmares. So at least there is that positive. He he writes down as the only note for her. Um, just a darling. <laughs> no, what I was um, what I was gonna say before is the movie. Even though all of this is wild and crazy and should feel like immensely disturbing, it feels normal within the context of the movie. Like it, it's building. Larry is a Larry is a consistent character. Like he works as a character. He may seem illogical to us, but he has a consistency and he is believable, and that makes it work even if it does seem really, really out there. There's really two facets to Harry, right? There's the white collar, what do you think, late 30s, early 40s, boring white guy, Larry. That is very believable. Pushover Larry is very believable. But And to see this guy come up with like a, I guess you can say like a Santa Sona, <laughs> 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 to to get away from that mundane life to give himself the the power that he lacks in his everyday life yeah i can you know i can believe that i don't yeah. i don't buy the 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 shit the trauma that caused him to go overboard into, <laughs> into making that a thing but i no. don't really care i can definitely see someone looking into santa way too much i don't think Maybe their apartment wouldn't look this nice. I mean, don't don't get me wrong. It's a, a fucking bizarro serial killer den. <laughs> but, but it's like well kept. And you would think that this guy would be just, you know, no, it would be well kept because the Christmas decorations are very important to the holiday, right? You have to keep up appearances. 
Right. One of the most important yeah. things about being a good boy or girl is having positive body hygiene. And that extends to feng shui and good housekeeping. No, this, yeah, no, you're right. This is totally believable. Honestly, I'm he, on prob- board. he probably has OCD. And I have OCD. Like I can recognize a lot of the symptoms, but. Um, well, I don't know if he has OCD necessarily because he gets pretty dirty by the end of the film, but he's dedicated. You don't have to. You don't have to be obsessed with cleanliness. You can be obsessed with other things. Like not all OCD people care about hygiene. Pardon my ignorance. Obsessive compulsive is any any obsessive behavior or thought that you cannot escape and that you use as a coping mechanism for like your anxiety. It's a pretty big umbrella thing, but... And just as a blanket statement, again, we are not qualified to talk about, you know, psychiatric issues. <laughs> so where were we? Um, can we talk about the class angle of this movie? Like, do you think there's some some class message going on here? Mm, a little bit, but I would say that a class messaging is inevitable in any narrative you create. It's just, you know, how hard do you focus on it? I guess that's conscious. Are you to recognize its existence? (laughs) I guess that's true, but it seems very front and center in this movie to me. Like Harry was a blue collar guy. Like he worked on the assembly line with all these other guys, his age or slightly older and um, in a toy factory. And he gets a promotion where he's now a white collar worker, like he works in a managerial role. And he actually laments that he misses working on the line because he likes to be close to the toys. And the the blue collar people think, I think some of them think he's just nuts. Some of them think he's like mocking them, that he's like rubbing it in their faces that he doesn't have to work on the line anymore. And I don't know. I don't know if there's a message to the movie. I don't know if it's trying to say anything about class, but there's this really weird, odd class tension where we finally see a scene where uh, Harry in his white collar takes off his suit jacket and sets it aside so he can fill in for somebody's shift on the line building toys. And he doesn't seem particularly good at it. Good? I don't know. It means just putting plastic motorcyclist onto a plastic motorcycle i think he does all right but i mean he doesn't seem very enthused about it but what is this guy enthused about except for cosplaying santa i think he legitimately enjoys being on the line and making toys i think the reason he's not enthused is he feels like he got conned into being there that well he did get conned he got forced into it he didn't want to be there Right. So that's that's the problem. Like if the guy had actually, you know, if he had kind of begrudgingly said, yes, I'll do it. I don't think he would have been this way. I think he's this way because he feels like he got conned and lied to. But then what's the class messaging here when you have the, you know, proletariat over here basically uh, scamming people into working their shifts? Isn't that kind of like paint them as untrustworthy? mischievous i don't know there's there's no (laughs) message that i can think of like i don't know what the movie would be saying but 
this tension is there and i i think it's maybe it's just not it's embedded in anything that would involve like union members in a factory but it seems particularly front and center to me in this movie i'll also mention that the town seems really real to me like when he's walking home at night and we see him go past like the barber shop and there's a bar called the odd couple and he looks in and sees guys drinking and one of them is the guy who he covered who was supposed to have had some emergency all this even an emergency it was he wanted to go out with his wife for the weekend on a trip and so oh, yeah drinking with his co-workers at the bar right did 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 the town feel really like realistic for you yeah the, the town feels very real except for um the very end which we will address when we get there so let's talk about the relationship between harry and his brother what did you think of this as adults their adult relationship two complete opposite sides of the coin on one hand you have harry in his fucking a horror apartment living by himself obviously no friends no lovers nothing outside of his obsession for christmas and his like real professional career to really uh fill any void in his life meanwhile his brother is in shape successful lives in a two-story house has a wife and and two children like this man is living the american dream it's weird because for for 90 percent of the movie we stay in harry's point of view in fact, I think it works really well because in that opening scene where we see Santa and he's a kid, it's magical, right? Like the Santa Claus actually floats back up into the chimney. There's no way the dad did that, right? But that's how he remembers it. And so we're always at his point of view, but we leave his point of view once and that's to be with the, the brother, and he and his wife are having a conversation where the wife is begging the husband, like, we're going to have dinner with him, like, leave Harry alone. And the brother is saying, all he makes are mistakes. You make Harry suffer so much for his mistakes. Not today. All he makes is mistakes. So what? He's a sweet man. I know. So no anxiety? Promise me. You're the one that's getting me all worked up. If I start to think about how lame he is, there's no way I won't say the wrong thing to him. So don't. But all their anxiety over how to treat him ends up being unnecessary because Harry calls and says that he's not going to come in a very, very strange call. Is it really any weirder than the rest of his behavior? No, but all right. So imagine you're his brother and you're used to this guy always being weird. But now he calls and says he's not going to come to Christmas dinner, which is like the most important thing for him in the year. And it sounds like a suicide call, right? Like he says, bye, Bill, at the end, like... Either he's a it's a suicide call or he's already a serial killer. It it seems like that to me, and so it I don't know. It sets off alarm bells. 
Do you think his brother has any idea what kind of apartment Harry lives in? Yeah, I, I imagine he knows. How do you know that and still invite him over for Christmas? <laughs> I mean, how do you not? It's it's your brother. Mm. I don't know. I grew up in a family where with a brother who did a lot of shit and um, caused a lot of trouble in our family, but yeah, he was but, still always invited. But, but, but was his living area splattered with a bunch of Santa Claus and Christmas paraphernalia? I don't know. Like he slept in my mom's spare bedroom <laughs> on a mattress on the floor. Like, no, the answer is no, he did not. <laughs> it's, it's not, I don't know. It's weird. It's weird, right? I'm just saying there's far worse things that siblings do that actually hurt people. And as far as he knows, the brother doesn't have any reason to believe that Harry is violent. No one has any reason to believe Harry is violent. To give you an idea of what kind of movie this is compared to the back of the box we read off earlier, the first death doesn't even occur until halfway through the film. Yeah, this movie, it is like The Witch Who Came From The Sea in that it's it's not really a slasher movie. It's about the character. It's about this guy that goes mad. But he he gets dressed up as Santa. He paints a big uh, sled on the side of his, his rape van or what looks like a rape van, right? Yeah. And we see him walking home and like he sees these kids in the neighborhood and he knows all of their names and it's really creepy. He tells one little girl that she looks so beautiful tonight. Did it, did it creep you out? Do you think this is supposed to creep us out? Well, one, of course it's supposed to creep us out because this guy has absolutely no reason to be near children at, at any point. But yo, did you see her drip? Like she was wearing this like fancy magenta coat and matching pants. Yeah, she's her parents fancy. are dressing her right. Well, it, it it only gets creepier when he's like spying into this other kid's house and he he covers his face with mud and then leaves handprint impressions on the side of the house. What is going why is he doing this? Is I don't he know just, what his end game here is because this is the same kid he he crouches into the bushes, the hedges on the side of the house. And then makes like he's going to grab the child. Like, what was he going to do if he caught the kid? This, this to be fair, this is the negative body hygiene kid, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what he's going to do. The movie wants to imply, I think, that he's going to like kidnap and torture this kid or something. But that's not consistent with anything else in the movie. No, it's not his M.O. No but, kids die in this film. Actually, very yeah. surprising. Well, it's surprising going into it. And, and you know, after about halfway through this film, you realize that's not going to happen. But still, like, what was the end game? I don't know. Uh, one th Is this kid's name Moss? <laughs> I think that's how it's written in the book. I, I think that's how it's written in the book, but I'm not I'm not certain. I'm pretty sure I hear the mother calling him Moss. Yeah, maybe she was a hippie. But when he when he tries to, she doesn't seem like a hippie. She doesn't seem peaceful at all. Well, he, a lot of hippies converted into like traditional, you know, 
American commercial bullshit fill into society roles like that. That shit was a phase. Well, this woman did that because when he tries to tell her that some man in the bushes was like going to kidnap him, she doesn't believe him and she slaps him in the face (laughs) and says, and says, you would ruin my one night out all week. Like, it's really extreme. (laughs) But right after that is where we see Harry in his marionette room. He's in a room full of dolls and marionettes. Yeah. Is this inside his apartment? It's not really clear. That's what I was confused about is I don't know where this is that he is. And also, what was he making? He's working on something. He's making weaponry. Okay. Okay. This might be at the toy shop, right? Oh, that would make sense because everyone else is at the work party. But man, our our boy Harry over here is casting metal and making soldiers like like uh, in the the image of like the Nutcracker suite, right? Like you got the the tall hat, the steam pipe hat, and they got like the little fucking muskets. But we we later find out that this is. This is a weapon. He's making weapons. Yeah, it's it's a very odd scene. And and then he goes from there to the work party and like tries to schmooze with the boss who or at least that's what the boss wants him to do. Can we play this scene? Because this is where some some of that class conflict really comes out. It just hit me that this party happens in the middle of the day. So all the management's partying while all of the workers are down in the fucking conveyor belts. Yeah. Producing. Huh. Yeah. That's, that's why there's such class overtones. Nice guy. Oh, what's his problem, Harry? Is he jealous because you're one of us now? Despair, pain, and anguish are words which do not do justice to the suffering going on at the Willowy Springs State Hospital for Retarded Children. The hospital. I'd like to hear some of your other ideas for Jolly Dream, Harry. So, yeah, the Geraldo Rivera bit at the end of that scene. Why do you think that's in the movie? Oof. I think it's it's really just trying to drive the point home that these are the marginalized people. These corporations are willing to exploit in order to make themselves look better. Right. Because these this company specifically is saying we are donating toys to these hospitals to make children happier. And then it turns out in the dialogue that follows that really it's just a commercial, a PR scam. They have no idea if there's even any toys going to the hospital. The hospital might not even know about it. Yeah. And so Harry's going to become sort of a Robin Hood figure where he robs from the corporation all these toys so that he can make sure they go to the kids who need them. But why do you what do you think's up with all of this conversation? Like, are they mad that you're one of us now? Like, what is the point of that? God, I feel like this is a rabbit hole. We can fall down talking about the American dream, the illusion of the American dream and like the social paradigm that it constructs in a workplace that is occupied by both blue and white collared employees. I mean, I think that's sufficient. We don't need to go down the rabbit hole. And fairly well said, by the way. Um, I just don't know why it's in this movie. 
I don't know if there if this movie is trying to make a big statement about capitalism or industrialism or whatever. Um, it seems like it's trying to at points, but then it but then it drops it, and I don't know what the purpose of it was. I mean, what's the purpose in anything, right? I mean, okay, okay, so. It's really difficult, especially in the modern age, to discuss Christmas in like a, a secular, utilitarian world without covering the topic of how much of it is commercialized and how much of it is based on, you know, holiday tradition. Like, how do these things mingle? Like, would Christmas be a big a deal as it is in especially the U.S.? if it wasn't propped up by like corporate commercial interests i don't know uh the answers to that but i feel like we when you bring up christmas in any sort of like society societal discussion you are going to hit this uh this this concept this idea or this struggle between you know do we focus on you know the 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 idea of santa claus i don't even know if you can divorce that like the idea of santa claus and like the corporate stranglehold on on christmas because i mean santa is that representation right now you are going down a rabbit hole yeah we are going to, this is your fault but um but i like everything you just said and it does shed some light on the movie for me right okay so is this santa versus jesus and santa is on the side of the corporations or is is this struggle santa versus the corporations and then jesus is like off on in the fucking bleachers watching this going on there isn't any jesus in this movie right there is a church in this film and i really thought that it was going to be some sort of huge religious message going on and it just doesn't happen but maybe that's part of like what you're harping on right there's like the backdrop for these great motifs and then nothing's really done with them that is exactly my point and it's not just like thematic it's also plot strands it's like why was that part of the plot if like why is Geraldo Rivera in your movie I, I mean it's not really him but why is there a character that looks like him like why is that there because it is like supposed to be um a, an homage it's not a parody an homage I, I guess impersonator I don't know but when when did he do that expose on the the mental institution was it around this time because if if it was in vogue that explains why it's in the film so anyway i'm just all i'm getting at is it's it's the chekhov's gun thing right like there you can't put something in your movie that doesn't go anywhere it's frustrating even though overall i like this movie i really do so okay so on this on that front i don't think there needs to be necessarily any big picture ideas from just introducing the struggle of like corporatism versus the holiday because no matter what kind of christmas story you make and what kind of genre it's gonna pop up regardless but you are totally right um that it doesn't seem to go anywhere i just don't know if that matters on this front just because it's unavoidable it's going to happen yeah i get your point Anyway, we get a montage of him doing Santa things after he gets the outfit and the beard glued on and laughs hysterically with joy that the beard is now a part of him. This this scene is really intense, right? 
It is. Like, once he affixes the beard to his body and realizes it won't come off, he just gets overjoyed. It is him now. He's, like, sobbing and pulling on it and saying, it's me, it's me. It's really weird and awkward. And, like, I don't, what do you think should happen to a person like this? All right, so assume he doesn't kill anyone, right? It's just there's this person who lives this way. What should society do about it? Well, practically speaking, I suppose if he keeps it in his private life or in the company of consenting adults, then he's, you know, free to do whatever he wants. As long as it's not interfering with the anyone else's livelihood. This is his Santa Sona. Like he wants to identify as Santa Claus and he wants to fulfill this power fantasy of being this mystical old man who brings joy and mirth and toys to children who are good and then coal and punishment and switchblades <laughs> to children who are not. <laughs> he begins to distribute presents, right, with a big knife that he uses to cut them open and put them under the tree. Where don't, forget, so don't forget, this man goes out to like... The, sh the shores of some dingy ass river outside the city and I fills bags with coal. <laughs> this never comes back into play for the film, but he took the time to do it. He's, he's so dedicated to this character. In his own words, he has found the tune. He is ready to play it. Oh, that's so weird. The it's, music talk is so strange. It's so strange and it has no bearing on the rest of the film whatsoever, but... You know, you walk by like the Christmas, uh, you know, little Christmas town models at the store and you, you got like the snow globes going and the little, little train going across the town and everyone's like celebrating Christmas because Christmas never ends in these little Christmas dioramas. And they usually have some sort of music playing forever in that retail setting. That is what is in his head 100% of the time. <laughs> we just have to imagine it because they didn't force us to listen to it though the way i interpreted that differently i interpreted it as i interpreted it i perceived it <laughs> as he had to he was acting right he was playing a part but the part wasn't santa his real self is Santa. The part he was playing was like the corporate executive, right? The managerial person. He really wanted to be making toys and he couldn't figure out how to play the tune or sing the song as in he couldn't figure out how to play that part, right? He couldn't figure out how to sound like or act like one of these guys and so when he says, I finally figured out how to sing the song, he's saying, I've realized I don't have to be this. I can be my real self. I can be Santa. And so I'm going to go be Santa. Hmm. That's how I interpreted it. That's, that's, that's one of those arguments where, you know, who's real, Superman or Clark Kent? Yeah. Who's to know? But he... he some of the time he does creepy things like sneak into someone's house. But then there's also a time where he just pulls up to the guards in front of the, is this the orphanage? No, this is the, uh, 
the hospital for retarded children that's mentioned by Geraldo Rivera, uh, diet Geraldo Rivera in that news, that news clip. And these presents he's bringing, they're just like lots of little plastic figurines, right? We never see anybody open them, right? No, there's no, there's really no children in this movie except the one that gets slapped in the face. Oh, I wouldn't say all that. What other kids are in this movie? All right. Well, I mean, for starters, the first house that Santa goes into, because, you know, he's no longer Harry. He is Santa. So Santa's going from house to house, essentially committing burglary, going in, dropping presents at trees and leaving without a trace. Although I I am pretty sure this man is leaving behind all sorts of fingerprints and DNA evidence. It's that's. Yeah, it's terrible, really. It's bad. What do you think you're doing? I I have a delivery. I mean, I have toys for the children inside. At this hour? What are you, wacko? Do I look like I'm joking? Get me whoever's in charge. I don't have a lot of time. Get out of here. I told you, I'm in a hurry. How can you be so lazy and selfish? Are you blind? Who do you think you're talking to? I'm sorry. My, my approach is... Uh, it, it doesn't matter. Look, I'm really in a hurry, and I only have good intentions. Here. Merry Christmas. Have a good holiday. Well, you wait here. Don't come inside, you understand? Uh, don't worry. I, I, I won't. Christmas. Merry 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 Christmas. <laughs> Merry Christmas! <laughs> Merry Christmas! <laughs> Where did you come from? I mean, who sent you? <laughs> That's a very long story. I assume all the little children have been good this year. Of course. Well... You'd better get some more help. <laughs> You'd better get some of the staff. I'll wait here. Can I ask who donated all this? Some people who didn't realize how generous they could be. <laughs> Bodied. So do you think do you think this scene's for real? Is this a hallucination? Yeah. Uh, no, I really think he robbed the company and is distributing the gifts as per his his worldview that they these kids absolutely need these presents because the company said that they were going to donate them. I've always thought that, but on this most recent viewing, I don't know. It just struck me 
I kept thinking, this seems too good to be true, right? This man does not seem competent enough to have pulled this off. And how, how competent do you need to be? He there's literally nobody watching this factory at any point. He makes weapons in the factory and nobody bats an eye. It, how hard could it be to slip into the back, load your murder van with f- f- all these fucking toys and, and private property of the corporation and then just go distribute them as you see fit? I was slight spoiler alert. I was really hoping to see the the fallout from this when the corporation would figure out that he was stealing property from them, but it doesn't happen. Nope. It goes nowhere. Just like most of the other plot strands. <laughs> I don't know. It, it, it seems a little too good to be true to me, but, but I don't know. It probably happens. Okay. Um, so let's assume this is a hallucination, right? Why would he hallucinate the guard putting their hand on their sidearm, ready to pull it out and blow away freak Santa Claus? That's true. Like, do you think maybe he's like victimizing himself to show that he can overcome adversity and then show that, you know, through the Christmas spirit, negative feelings can be triumphed over? I think you're probably reading too much into it with oh, that. For take. Sure. No, I'm I'm reading the fuck into this right now. Yeah, but, but no, I, I think that it's it's easy to take this scene at face value, right? And after the guard goes inside, he paces back and forth outside finding that enter Santa Claus. Because at first he's saying Merry Christmas like a normal well-adjusted human being and then as he like repeats it he gets into it man and he finds that inner santa and then yeah, he's trying to get loose he's trying to practice i you know connect with his inner santa that's an excellent way of putting it that's how i interpret that scene too but then he begins his murder spree yo this shit is so out of left field right <laughs> Of all the places for the murder to start, why here? It's not a wise decision at all if you were strategizing, but I don't think he's strategizing. I don't think he's like, I don't think he's cogent enough to be strategizing. Why? He is strategizing to a degree because he commits these murders partly with the metal toy soldier figurines that he casted out of metal in just a few scenes before this. They are so dense that the, their little toy rifles are powerful enough to stab people to death, which is what happens here very suddenly. This is where I was hoping there'd be some sort of like Santa versus Jesus um, debate here on who is like the true Oh, gosh, the true representation of Christmas, but it doesn't happen. Santa, for some reason, has parked his van out in front of the church where his company's leadership is having their normal Christmas mass. He just happens to be at the foot of the stairs when everyone starts pouring out from the church. Well, I think he's waiting there for them. Yeah, but he doesn't even hurt. Like, do you think that was the original plan? He was waiting for his old bosses to come down and he'd murder them with his, like, Santa disguise? Yeah, yeah. I think that's what he was waiting for. 
Well, the plan gets derailed because he uh, picks up some hecklers. <laughs> yeah, the these pack. like these like faux British people are making fun of him. <laughs> faux British. I know. Why are these three British have British accents? I don't think they're real British accents. I don't know. In the credits, they're actually credited as the item of clothing that's most prominent on them. Because one of them's wearing like a hat. And in the credits, there's like one is like hat. There are a lot of bizarre things about this film. And the credits are no exception. Both the start and end credits have their own peculiarities. But what's really interesting about the end credits is that the casting is divided by setting rather than anything else. So in the church scene, the church credits, they have people listed as like items of clothing that they were wearing. And That's then it. when there's eventually a police lineup, there's actually like Santa one, two, three, and then black Santa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I thought those lineup scenes were, I don't know. They're kind of out of place. They're kind of funny, but I guess that's how they'd really do it. Yeah, in the 80s, that's how they do it. I mean, nowadays, they have, um, police have programs on their laptops. I mean, everyone's seen those in their patrol cars where they can uh, randomize driver's licenses that meet the same criteria as the person that they're trying to identify for the victim. And so they present the lineup that way, which is definitely not as exciting as the scene that we're treated to. I also keep forgetting when I think about like how easy it was for him to do these things that this was being filmed in the seventies and like there wasn't mass surveillance. There wasn't constant monitoring. Like it was easier to do these things, but I, he stabs this guy with this toy in the eye yeah, this, the fucking gun on the soldier goes right into his eyeball and pops it. And then he hacks him up with a hatchet, like right in front of the church. Dude, it isn't ju- just that guy that gets hatcheted. I don't, I don't even know if the eye guy does get hatcheted. I think he kills four people. Yeah, he when the hatchet comes down, it comes down on a lot of different heads. And this is like a, a, a metal ass hatchet with a candy cane styled handle. And kills four people in front of the church. Nobody does anything. No, we see people screaming hysterically and running away. But and we see him race away. And then the camera pans over the dead bodies, including the little toy soldier and like lingers on them. And it's so strange because it's so unlike anything else we've gotten in the movie so far. Right. This is like an explosion of violence. Was this mo- was this shocking for you that it is? It- yeah. I just, how the fuck could you see this coming? Does okay. it- I realize this movie is called Christmas Evil and we have box art where Santa's holding a giant fucking axe right before he descends a chimney. But up until this point, there has been no indication that there's just going to be a sudden murder spree. And I don't know if this was in the original script or maybe somebody came by and was like, hey, by the way, you're making a horror film. You need you need to up the body count. Yeah, I don't know. But I, I do. I think it works. I, I think I could imagine a movie where I got bored 
waiting for the carnage to come. And I mean, there are plenty where I get bored, but I don't get bored in this one. I'm engaged enough in this character. But, you know, their ultimate sin, the ultimate sin of these victims was that they disparaged Christmas. They heckled Santa Claus. They made light (laughs) of the Christmas holiday. And that is what caused them to snap. Yep. They sinned against Santa. And then, but then he goes to the, um, the blue collar party, the party of the underlings. Uh, They're at a bar like dancing and some guys recognize him and drag him inside. And this cute girl gives him a drink and a bunch of kids run up and start collecting presents. He basically becomes like a hero to the party. We have not drawn attention to this, but Harry is a big time voyeur. Like he's spied on children at the beginning. There's a scene where he looks through a window at his brother's home before the before the the invitation for dinner. He he. There's multiple scenes across this whole film where he's just looking at people through windows, but this time he gets caught. But like the scene, right? The the proletariat brings Santa into their their home, their haven. They welcome him, and, and they he, shower him with praise and respect for not just for him, but for the holiday. Yep. Is this is this the class messaging that we're talking about more I, more here? I mean, I think the very fact that the movie shows us a separate like the white collar people are doing this and the blue collar people are doing this at the same time. Like it's setting up a parallel for us. I just don't really know what it's trying to say. Anyway, he, he, so he comes off as like the hero for once. Right. But then there's a moment where you can see that he makes everyone uncomfortable where he's, he points to the kids and he says, I want you to remember to be good boys and girls Respect your mothers and fathers and listen to your teachers. But if you're bad boys and girls, your name goes in the bad boys and girls book and I'll bring you something horrible. And all the parents look like genuinely upset. They're like, what the fuck are you doing with our kids? And then he he laughs and they call like a lot of them awkwardly nervously laugh too but some of the women especially seem pretty unsettled i don't know i thought this was really well done he does manage to to disarm the majority of the crowd with his jovial laughter and after the body count of the scene we just witnessed it does give this this tone shift a lot more weight what did you think of the scene where he gets stuck in the chimney? This man literally thought he could go down a chimney. <laughs> Isn't there a scene in the headless eyes like this too? Man going down a chimney? Or he gets he's sneaking into someone's house and he gets stuck and so he has to sneak in through the basement? Hmm. I don't remember that. I'm not saying it isn't there. I just don't remember it. When I think about real life Santa's trying to go down chimneys, I think about gremlins. Where uh, that's the, a good connection. Where the love interest goes into the, the really traumatic story about how her father died. Yeah. No, that's a good connection. 
But yeah, no, you cannot go down chimneys IRL. So I, I really did appreciate that he tried it and failed miserably. Well, he ends up sneaking in through the basement and he puts like mean things under the tree. What is this? It, it's coal. And what else is there? So for starters, this is the house where Harry's co-worker lives. The one who swindled him into taking a shift under false pretenses. Right. This guy's a jerk. So naturally, his children are on the naughty list. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they were on the naughty list for other reasons. Um, so he, he leaves the shit under the tree, but then... It goes into the bedroom where the coworker is sleeping. And he and uses Santa's bag. Uses the bag to try to smother him to death, which doesn't work because uh, it's just full of a bunch of hard objects. How are you going to make that that seal around the nose, man? It doesn't work like that. Well, and that's one of the things I like about this movie is this guy has built up a fantasy in his head that he is Santa, right? And that we get that perfect scene where he successfully delivers toys to the hospital and all the children cheer, right? Or at least that's how it is in his head. But this is how it is in reality. He can't get down the chimney. He finally sneaks in and uh, now the bag isn't doing what it's supposed to, right? Like he's not competent enough to strangle somebody. What's incredible is that the entire time the coworker's wife sleeps through all of this pandemonium. My wife would. Oh my God. I would, I don't know if it would be great if I could sleep like this, but it would be great if I could sleep like that. <laughs> I definitely cannot and have no desire to. I am fine with the bare minimum of sleep I get so that I can be as productive as possible. But um, yeah, my wife can sleep through anything. Eventually, Santa decides to improvise. The family, the, the family in this household has a small Christmas tree on the nightstand by the bed in which he takes the star off the tree... And it's sharp enough that Santa can use it to cut the coworker's throat. Yep. And the coworker is just violently thrown across <laughs> the bed onto his sleeping wife, who then wakes up in terror to see her husband dying on her chest. This scene is brutal, number one. And number two, I love little details that make it that much more real. Like she opens her mouth to scream, but no sound comes out. Like she's too scared. She's she's so terrified she can't scream. And that's a horrifying thing. Like it's really effective. When most people get stressed out, their throat closes up a little bit. And so that's why you have people who get really stressed out. Their like voice goes into a higher pitch. Like, especially if you watch uh, like fight, fight videos or confrontations or stuff like out in the street, like you'll see people's like or you'll hear people's voices breaking. It's because their throat is closing up. And in her case, she is just in so much shock. She can't make any noise whatsoever. Like that is as intense. So somewhere in this murder spree, Harry 
decides he needs to contact his brother. Hello? Oh, Phil. It's me. Harry, where are you? Hello? Jackie, get off the line. It's for me. Is it about Harry? Get off the phone. Harry, you still there? Where are you? You always worry about me, don't you, Phil? I waited all day to hear from you. I'm sick to my stomach. But, Phil, you should be proud of me. Why? I did what you've always wanted me to do. I finally found the right notes. I can play the tune now. What tune? The tune everybody dances to. Even you, Phil. It's my version. But it works. <laughs> Harry, I'm sorry. You don't want to tell me where you are, don't tell me. But when you do come over here, we're going to have this out once and for all. You see, the difference between us was I always remembered everything. What, what don't I remember? Just tell me what... No, no, you're not going to... Make me feel guilty no more. No, Phil. I read a poem once that said, Every day you shave, you see yourself one day closer to dying. What are you saying? I'm going to play my tune now. Everybody will dance, you'll see. You don't have to worry anymore. What goddamn tune, Harry? Harry? What did you think of this conversation? This tune stuff sounds a little forced. Yeah, it's it's almost like the movie's mixing together too many different things. Right. It's not it's it's like a uber mixed metaphor. It's kind of a slasher movie. It kind of wants to be a psychological study of Harry, but there's not enough there to do that. It kind of wants to be a police investigation, but we only get a couple scenes at the police station uh, or with the cops. Um, it, it's just in too many different places. And so we get scenes like this that is very dramatic and seems very meaningful, but really has no bearing on the plot at all. But he goes to, he goes from here to deliver toys to the kids, but the parents recognize that he's the one that's being, that's being hunted by the police. Like he's on the news and everything right now they kind of turn into a vigilante mob and chase him off. Like now he's Frankenstein's monster. As he's running, he slashes at people as he goes, but I don't think he kills anyone here. Does he? No, there's a very protracted uh, dispute where we have Santa and like a hostage situation with the kids. Well, it's not, it's not overt but there's like an implied hostage situation going on. And yeah, the parents like confront him, the switchblade is pulled. There's a whole, the whole thing, but it ends up with, with Santa running away from the scene, just as <laughs> this lynch mob gets formed with torches. Where, where do these urbanites get all these torches? I don't know, but so this, is I... where, this is where the city stops being real to me because then there's this dynamic of Santa driving from one point to another with no other traffic and almost no other inhabitants except for this angry mob and his brother. Th see, this, this is reminiscent of Frankenstein to me and it, it's, it's silly, but it's also effective. I, I love the way these scenes are filmed. Like 
the scenes where he's running through the neighborhood and we get to see all the Christmas decorations. It's just like with Halloween movies where I want to see the decorations and how people celebrated. And so you get to see like Christmas of 1980 and that sort of time capsule. I really love, but beyond my personal passion for it, I think it's just really well filmed there are scenes where we only see the torches and the vigilante mob almost becomes like shadows um we see scenes where uh it's up close and it's like disturbingly up close as people are chasing and getting furious and angry i don't know i thought all this was real cool does the frankenstein analogy really really sit here because frankenstein was created without his consent right he, he was well, the monster the monster was created without any input from the monster itself whereas harry santa is like a self-made like entity right that's all his independent decision making that went into like the design the costuming the behavior and then you know ultimately the murders like it's really hard to view harry here as some sort of like misunderstood like force of christmas right because this he is a perversion of of the holiday spirit to like the worst degree but i think that's how he views himself right as like an unfairly persecuted outsider now okay we're talking about like scenes that may not have happened right do you think this is all in harry's head see I don't think it's in his head entirely, but I think it might be exaggerated in his head right. in the same way that that original scene we saw him, the dad float up the chimney like, you know, it didn't really happen that way. So I think the same thing might be true here where we're seeing things through Harry's eyes. We know that Harry has some mental illness and issues, and I suspect that he exaggerates the reality in his head. Is it was that your interpretation? I I am willing to accept that there's an exaggeration with a mob chasing him with torches, but I am willing to to say that he actually did have a dispute with the people in the neighborhood, the parents of the children, if you will. Oh, oh yeah, for sure. But yeah, the torches might just be like a whole a whole delusion. Hallucination? I don't know, man. I don't have a psychology degree i don't know let's play one more scene let's play the final conversation between harry and his brother because after he runs successfully escaping this mob and the police that's where he goes oh my god i knew it was you i failed you were right phil i'm a failure what have you done how many people have you killed once rejected my tune. I don't understand. I know it's right. Oh, God damn you. God damn you. No, Daddy, don't hurt Uncle Harry. Get them upstairs. What are you going to do? No questions. Please just get them upstairs. No, Daddy, don't hurt Get in there. No. Wrecked all our lives. I wanted to give people what they wanted, what they said they wanted. But they don't want Santa Claus. I don't understand. They don't want me. You're insane. Do you understand that? You're sick. It was you, Phil. The first time it was you that didn't want Santa Claus. 
I wanted all my life to prove to you that you were wrong. Me? You're blaming me? I was six years old. You never did believe in me. You're one of them. You're one of those people out there. You don't believe in anything. All children love me. I was six years old. You are blaming me for all the horrible things you've done because of something I said when I was six years old. Although Harry is obviously the most unstable of the two, clearly his brother has some issues as well. I mean, you don't just full-on strangle someone to death by accident. No, but... I think that he's felt his brother is ruining everybody's lives, as he puts it, like repeatedly, right? Again and again and again throughout their lives, he's had to dig his brother out of these messes. And I think that he's resentful. He resents him. And that's why he says he's a failure at everything. Like he can't interact with him he can't interact with him without judging him. And so this is the culmination of all of that, the pent up anger that now he literally has gone on a murder spree and likely changed everyone in the family's lives forever. I don't know. He doesn't seem mentally ill to me. Well, he could treat his wife better. True, he's not like the perfect character for sure. Um, I don't even know if he's a sympathetic character, uh, but he well, seems believable. I, okay, so it's like realistic for to have somebody lose control and like hit someone or maybe a little choke, but he straight up strangles for about a, a minute his brother. Yeah, it, that just doesn't happen on accident. There's there's a lot of built up tension here. All I'm saying is that if your brother was a mass murderer, it would complicate the situation. Yes. Okay. We can agree on that point. All right. So, so then, then what do you think that everything that follows from here is just like a fabrication of sorts? Do you think that perhaps Harry died right here on the living room floor? You know, that's interesting. I had never thought of him dying then. Yeah, we could have a Jacob's Ladder situation going on. I wasn't even sure that he died. All right, so <laughs> let, let me let me explain what I mean. Right, well, we first off, let's just wrap this up, right? Wrap this plot up. Um, his brother takes him, for whatever reason, drags Harry out of the house. It's no longer Santa because he's dead, right? <laughs> sure. Drags Harry out of the house back to his van and then um, very unbelievably manages to pick up all this dead weight and neatly put him back in the driver's seat. Yep, indeed. It's uh, And then even more believably, Harry wakes up. And backhands his brother and then peels off in the van where he is then driven off the road by the torch-bearing angry mob. Harry's van, well, now he's Santa because he's alive again. So Santa's van crashes through the guardrail of a bridge and then proceeds to fly into the night sky. (laughs) As we hear a voice saying, and I heard him exclaim as he drove out of sight, Merry Christmas to all and to all a good night. 
in a very jovial way. Yes, it ends in, you know, the most iconic way a Christmas movie could end. So I've got a couple theories. Right. But here's the one that I think makes the most sense is the entire movie is a flashback in Harry's point of view. And that's why we see a lot of the things from the perspective we do, where things are happening maybe a little more glamorously or more excitingly or more dramatically than they did in real life. And so in that includes the ending, because I think what really happened is Harry drove off the side of the road, crashed the car, and he survived but probably ended up incarcerated or in an institutionalized, like there's no way he's just a free, normal person, but this is his flashback to the story that occurred. That's what I think happens. I think that's reasonable. I mean, the other alternative is to say that, well, he drives off the side of the road and dies, or he died back when he was strangled by his brother. But Then you run into the point of view problem where it's like, okay, then either the last scene literally happened or he remembered it from beyond the grave, which doesn't work. No, it's a Jacob's Ladder situation. He has to keep reliving his life until he's come to terms with death. We're not even sure that's what happens in Jacob's Ladder, right? (laughs) Like, that's my that's my theory. But look, I also oh, fucking spoiler for a 40 year old movie. <laughs> look, I am one of those obnoxious people that like can analyze and nitpick and AP lit things to death. So just let's move on. Um, oh, look, my, my interpretation was just very easy that this man was obviously deranged. And at the last moment of his life, instead of his fan careening to, to his inevitable death, he just imagined himself. He escaped to this reality where he flew off into the night sky and ended on a happy note. So neither of us thinks it really happened, right? Uh, do you have a reason? I don't think there's enough supporting evidence to to say that this actually happened. And and right, if good. it and if it did happen within like the worldview of this, then like what kind of person is Santa Claus, right? Because he literally murdered multiple people. Hey, if you're on the naughty list. Yeah, uh, this is this is perhaps a dark origin story sure. for Santa Claus. After this, he drove off to the North Pole, made his base, and then Santa was henceforth a thing starting in 1980 to, to present day within the, the universe of Christmas evil. We All are right. never graced with any sequels, so we'll never know. Well, it's late and we need to wrap up. So let's give final thoughts and rating out of four. The main draw of this film is Brandon Maggart's performance. He does an amazing job as this mild-mannered pushover of a guy transforming into an alternate Santa identity to escape his mundane life. And his he's obviously very unsettled from the start of the film, so you're not like watching some sort of gradual like regression of his psyche, but you are seeing him like kind of like finish the roof of this like fucked up house in his mind of what he wants to be. And and that's the best part of this film is, is watching him and perform this like 
one man show and all sorts of different of like Santa for the Santa personality interact with all of these regular everyday people. Um, the, the times where this movie kind of blunders is when it strays away from that formula. Like we are treated to two scenes of law enforcement investigating his murders that go nowhere. Um, we are treated to scenes of his brother discussing family disputes with his wife and like that doesn't really establish anything that we wouldn't already be able to figure out it, it just seems that there's sort of like a there's like a directorial inconsistency in the philosophy or maybe they didn't quite realize how effective santa's story would be compared to everything else but despite the loose plot ends and the motifs that seemingly don't go anywhere um, this is still a movie that's worth watching, especially around Christmas. If you're looking for horror films, you can do way fucking worse than this. That's for sure. Um, I will remember this movie mostly for um, the, the main character's performance and the absolutely out of nowhere beginning murder scene in front of the church. And then, of course, the ending is uh, probably a point of contention for a lot of people. But, you know... It is, it is a little bit jarring the first time you see it, but once you've accepted it, it feels like this movie probably should not have ended any other way. This may not sound like the, you know, the greatest praise, but I, I, I think this is a solid two-star film uh, that you could definitely do way worse for a Christmas horror film. Yeah, I've... It sounds like I've bashed on this movie a lot during the episode, but I really do like it. I watch it every Christmas. I think it establishes a really unique tone and mood. And I think the performances are good, especially in uh, especially our protagonist. It's genuinely unnerving and much more believable than the other killer, uh, killer Santa movies. And I, I think this is probably the best of them, of all the killer Santa movies from this time period. And I, that's not saying that much, but but it is saying something. Um, I think the I pretty much agree with Leland. the The biggest problem here, as far as I see it, is there's just a lot of elements that don't go anywhere that are really interesting but not followed through on. Like there's um. The movie obviously wants to say something about class consciousness or class solidarity, um, but I don't know what it is, and they never make it clear. Um, there's weird diversions, like Leland said, from Harry's point of view to his brother or to the police that I guess they could have um, evolved into their own stories, but they don't. And so uh, it ends up feeling a little bit disjointed. There's no other movie like this, though. It it has a unique feeling. Like, did you did you find that that it had a unique feel? I don't know if I call it unique because I mean, again, we just like compared it earlier to the witch who came from the sea. But yeah, I I think it's similar in tone to to witch, although not as uh gosh ethereal, not as mysterious. This film feels way more grounded, but this man's like breaking psyche is is around the same degree of seriousness it's just more jovial 
Well, as I said before, I, I do think another flaw of this movie is that it kind of depends upon us liking or identifying with or sympathizing with the main character. And I think there's a large degree to which we don't. But with all that said, um, I don't I think this is better than two stars. Um, I'll give it two and a half bordering on a three. I have given up like the luxury, the luxury of being able to sympathize and identify with the protagonist in most of the films we watch. I've just, it's not even an expectation for me anymore. So that, that does not factor into my rating at all. I would have, I would have loved to see more um, unreliable narrator shit. Like, you know, Santa going up into the ceiling, stuff like the end of the film. I would have loved to see more stuff like that. I would have as well, but I think we're in the minority. I think most people hate that part. Strange, but okay. Uh, I mean, look, look, the version that I watched on Tubi is an hour and 34 minutes, and the runtime is supposed to be an hour 40, so maybe I missed something in six minutes, or IMDb's runtime is wrong. But for, from what I watched, I, I wanted more mystical holiday Santa bullshit. No, I don't think you missed any. There's really not that much. But let's wa talk about what we're going to watch next week. We're going to divert a little bit from the Christmas spirit because uh, this is really exciting to me. Scooter McRae, the writer and director of Shatter Dead, uh, has become something of a fan of the show and gave me some exciting advanced news that uh, his 1999 shot on video movie 16 tongues was going to be getting a blu-ray release so i've been anxiously anticipating that ever since and i got my uh blu-ray from saturn's core just a few weeks ago and i have not yet watched it so this will be a first time watch for both of us um, and I, I hope it I hope it's just as exciting as Shatter Dead in terms of like an exciting discovery. It's uh, the, the box is really awesome. All right, Leland, any last words? Thank you for your continued support. All right. Check out 16 Tongues from Saturn's Core and join us next week. Until then, you can follow us on Instagram at video.store.nightmares where I post everything that we do. Have a great week, everybody.